Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to NFL Live. What a night in Seattle. Here's how it all went down on Monday Night Football. We're talking the Eagles and the Seahawks. Jalen Hurts not feeling well, but still going to play in this one. Third quarter, Jalen Hurts pushes in for the one-yard touchdown. Eagles 17-10 to at that point. Fourth quarter, Drew Locke. Well, he was in his bag. Uh, he passes DK Metcalf right here. 34-yard gain, Dan. Outstanding job of DK, kind of like shielding his body versus Bradbury before Sidney Brown can get over Meg Metcalf. Great throw by Drew Locke. Is he really going to win this game for the Seahawks? Well, here's Drew Locke finding Jackson Smith and Jigba, the 29-yard touchdown, and that means it's 20-17 to Seahawks. Look at that catch by JSN. Just fully extended in the rain, pulls it in. Uh, Again, a beautiful throw from Drew Law. That shot just warms your heart, no matter who you're rooting for. Fourth quarter, 13 seconds to go. First and 10, Jalen Hurts trying to make something happen. And Julian Love says, no, I'm going to go ahead and intercept that. Seal the win for the Seahawks. The Seahawks win on Monday Night Football 20-17. We'll remind people that Dan did pick them. We'll get to that a little bit more later. Thank but you for the that Eagles, reminder. yeah, I'd like to give you some props before I tear you down. The Eagles defense has been bad this year, especially in the fourth quarter. They rank in the bottom five in points allowed, third down conversion rate, and total QVR and yards allowed per game. What's going on with this defense? Dan's here. Mina is there as well. Dan Graziano joins us with some news. A little bit later on, we'll get to all of that. But let's go right back to that game, Dan. Uh, excuse me, Mina, actually. How concerning was the performance of – no, I'm going back. We're going to do the defense. The coordinator change happened, Dan, yeah. and we didn't see much of a difference. What stuck out to you when it comes to that Eagles D? Yeah, really, again, poor situational football, and specifically defensively, if you go yeah. to the game-winning drive – and some of the throws that Drew Locke connected, both with DK and Jackson Smith and Jigba, just situationally bad. This is cover two man. So those defenders underneath are man-to-man, and those safeties are playing high zones. Now, the defenders underneath have, like, leverage-wise, they're playing off and inside. Why are they inside? Because those safeties are protecting anything really to the outside. Number one rule, those defenders cannot get beat into the middle of the field. Bradbury gets set by DK Metcalf. He sticks his left foot in the ground, completely wide open. He cannot allow that to happen. A little bit later, Bradbury's up at top. They're going to play single high, man. He's going to play off. Look at the difference distance-wise at the snap. Now, DK does an outstanding job of what we call getting on his toes. Seems inside and closes that difference within seven yards. Look at the distance between Bradbury and DK at that point when it comes to how far off of he is. Game winner, Jackson Smith and Jigber. You're going to get that same thing. Drew Locke said, hey, if you get one-on-one, I'm throwing it. The safety comes down. Again, Jackson Smith and Jigber gets on Bradbury's toes within seven or eight yards of the snap. This is easy pitch and catch when it comes to NFL terms. And I just think in that situation, one, I was shocked that they played man coverage in that many moments because they've been bad at it all year. Two, there's no defensive line games or stunts to create rush. And three, 
Bradbury oh, yeah. in all three of those situations just got beat in the ways that he could not get beat scheme-wise. Yeah, you were highlighting some of the execution errors and then the fact that they played man. Um, to me, the more glaring aspect of that was what was going on up front. The fact that you had Drew Locke with no timeout, obvious passing situation. Mm. You should have an advantage, by the way, in the trenches. Like, we have complained about the, or not complained, but acknowledged the deficiencies in the Eagles' back seven all year. That's not new. The way this team is built, that front is supposed to be the right. strength. You got those young tackles in Seattle. The fact that they weren't able to affect him with the rush on that drive, to me, that was the most embarrassing thing about this for Philadelphia. And frankly, throughout the game, I thought they didn't get a sufficient amount of pressure given the fact that that was their biggest advantage on that side of the ball. And, and Kay, I remember last year, they would run so many two-man stunts or two-man games. They would get into their five-man front. They would create so many one-on-ones. And then it would be Reddick and Fletcher Cox or somebody in Josh Sweat. I just don't see that this year. It's often like one-on-one -on -one rushes. I actually have two examples. Last night, yeah. one time they dropped Hassan Reddick into a deep curl zone. That was their completion that you saw early in the game. They once played him at defensive tackle on second and five. I just don't know what's going on mm. with their defensive line. Yeah, they used to, they, the first half of the season, they were getting a lot of pressure from the inside. It feels like that's tailed off a little bit. Jalen Carter had like one pressure in this game that was impactful. But when I think back to last year and all the depth they had on that defensive line, you remember, of course, Javon Hargrave being in the mix. It feels like they're a little bit thinner there this year. Yeah. They were counting on that young talent to step forward. They, they played well throughout some of the season, but it's not enough right now, especially given the fact what they have to accomplish to compensate for what's going on in the back end. Mm. Yeah, um, well said, guys. And me trying to get through the top of the show was like the Eagles' defense not being able to stop uh, Drew Locke there in the final moments. Didn't go well. But, but you know what? I'm going to turn it around. We'll see what the Eagles will do. <laughs> As for their offense, Jalen Hurts pretty upset after the loss. We didn't execute. Um, I don't think we were we're all we're. Uh, committed enough, you know, you know, just just got to turn it around, you know, um, you know, it's a challenge that we have to embrace and just continue to see it through. We just have to be better. I have to be better, um, minimizing the mistakes, the penalties, um, the mental errors, I'm just playing, planting football and it starts with me leading that. All right, so we know that Jalen Hurts was under the weather in some capacity, but Mina, how concerning was the performance of that Eagles offense last night? Incredibly concerning. I'd say more concerning than the defense mm. because the defense, you know, we can point to some issues with personnel. From a pure personnel standpoint, Philadelphia has so many matchup advantages against this Seattle defense. Your wide receivers against those corners, they switched their lineup. It was Michael Jackson and Trey Brown starting in this game. Like, that should be an advantage. Your offensive line against this pass rush, which hadn't been successful for much of the year, an advantage. Your tight end going against the spine of that defense. Like, across the board, there is no reason why Philadelphia shouldn't have been able to move the ball on every drive. And yet, we saw a lot of the same issues we've seen throughout much of these, this season. The RPO game is less effective. It's predictable. You saw that with Seattle. The screen game isn't as well executed as it used to be. And then you got a quarterback who's forcing the ball downfield on early downs, ultimately leading you know, to the end of this game. Um, 
I feel like a broken record, but Dan, to me, like this Seattle defense was the turnaround opportunity for the offense yeah. given how they stacked up against them, and to fall short is really a bad look. Yo, MK, when I watch this offense right now, specifically last night, I think of it the same way I did the Bills five weeks ago or the Steelers all season long. I, I kind of have an idea of what's coming. When they get into mm. two by two, they're going to yeah. run the same RPO they run all the time. When they get in, look at they. It, Seattle knew it was coming. They were batting the ball away or, or running defenders to where they wanted him to yes. hand it off. Number two, when Dallas Goddard's in three-by-one formation, he's going over the football. And then number three, when they get into empty and it's not in the red zone, they're running a concept that we call Hank, which is basically all curls. No one's really open. The defense knows it's coming as well. MK, it's, it's, it's fascinating to sit here and say the defense is never on its heels. Oof. It's never in doubt with what is coming. They know, okay, there's two or three things that they are going to do out of this. That's why yeah. they sit there and say, we have to execute better. And I thought they would punish them for it when they were blitzing the nickel versus the RPO. I was like, oh, okay, next time around, they're going to see, you know, they're going to call that again, see it coming, punish them in coverage, and then they just do not punish them yep. for when defenses play off of their tendencies. Yep. Yeah, after his two picks on Monday, too, guys, Hurts is up to 17 turnovers this season. That's not helping things either, and uncharacteristic for who he's been as a player, even back to college. Hey, Dan helps us avoid the NFL Live curse. He was the only one to, to take the Seahawks last night on the show, but he My certainly daughter. wasn't the only guy happy about the results. Yeah, your daughter was probably she mad was at you. literally upset. All right, well, Jerry Jones, not upset. <laughs> Here's Cowboys owner Jerry Jones on how much he enjoyed watching the Eagles lose last night. Is marvelous. I watched every bit of it. I was uh, thought I was about to doze, and then when they made those two exciting plays at the end, I couldn't sleep till four this morning because of the impact that it can have on our year and our season. That he's about to doze. All right. Uh, according to ESPN Analytics, the Eagles are still the favorite to win the East. They have a 70% chance to win, thanks in large part to the fact that Philly just has the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL. They play the Cardinals and the Giants twice. The Cowboys have the 10th hardest remaining schedule in the NFL. Let's get to some top stories around the league as Dan Graziano joins us. Dan, Trevor Lawrence entered concussion protocol after Sunday's loss to Baltimore. What do we know about his status as the Jags are getting ready for the Bucks this weekend? Yeah, Laura, we won't know much until the next couple days unfold and we see how Trevor Lawrence has moved through the concussion protocol. This is uh, a thing we address every week. It's different for every player. The majority of players who've been in protocol have had a hard time getting back for the following week this year. There have been some exceptions, but we have to see if Trevor Lawrence is able to do much in practice this week and how he responds to that activity if and when he gets it. Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase injured, injured his shoulder in Saturday's game uh, against Minnesota. I've been told he's a long shot to play uh, this Saturday against Pittsburgh. I think the Bengals would be surprised if he was able to go. Always a chance he could get out on the practice field and do something, but it doesn't seem like, from what I've been told, that that is the expectation. So it looks like the Bengals likely to be without Chase this week. Better news in Kansas City with running back Isaiah Pacheco, who's missed the last couple of games following a procedure on his shoulder. Head coach Andy Reid said yesterday Pacheco should be good to go for this week. They felt like what he had was minor and it's taken care of and they almost they felt like he almost could have gone this past week but they wanted to hold him out one more week so the Chiefs getting whole at the running back 
position. And the Atlanta Falcons for the second time this year making a change at quarterback, benching Desmond Ritter for the second time this year, as I mentioned, and installing Taylor Heineke as the starter for this week's game. The Falcons lost 9-7 to the Carolina Panthers uh, on Sunday, which is inexcusable considering the Panthers had only won one game prior to that. Ritter with a critical turnover late uh, and just too much for Arthur Smith after a couple straight losses. He's going back to Heineke for Week 16. Yeah, that's been a little hard to figure out over there in Atlanta. Thanks to Garaz. More from you coming throughout the show. We're just getting started here on NFL Live. Glad you're with us today. The Bears have a franchise-altering decision to make under center, and a current wideout in Chicago has made his opinion clear on the matter. We'll explain why it's not as simple as should Fields stay or should he go. Plus, the 49ers offense has been virtually unstoppable. Dan taking us into the film room to show us just how good the CMC-Shanahan combo has been for San Fran. More in NFL Live right after this. Are you tired of uncomfortable, stuffy clothing when you're on the move? Task Performance is here to revolutionize your active lifestyle. Crafted with their innovative organic cotton and bamboo fabric blend, Task Performance's Carrollton Collection is Task's all-time most popular active wear. Task Carrollton Collection is breathable, moisture wicking, and provides USPF 50 plus sun protection, keeping you fresh, cool, and comfortable all day long. Task has harnessed the natural performance qualities of bamboo to deliver amazingly soft and durable apparel produced in an ethical and sustainable manner. Whether you're hitting the gym or on the trail, the golf course, traveling, the office, or just around town, Task Carrollton Collection will help you feel better, move better, and live better. Available in dozens of colors. See what better looks like at taskperformance.com. Use code SPORTS to get 20% off. That's code SPORTS at TASCperformance.com. Task, creating the most comfortable performance apparel on the planet. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Kick off your Week 16 NFL Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern with the Countdown Crew on ESPN and the app. We have all the breaking stories, injury updates. It's all right up until kickoff. Check it out. Let's read and react. So glad you're with us on NFL Live. Some news and notes from Week 15. We're going to start with Gardner Minshew and the Colts off their Saturday win over the Steelers. The Colts' offense has been very balanced this season. Sunday was their fifth game of the year where they had 200 passing yards and 150 rushing yards. That's tied with the 49ers and Dolphins for the most in the NFL. A couple offenses that we talk about all the time. It's one shy of the single-season team record set in 1958. Dan, how has this offense stayed afloat without Anthony Richardson out there? How many different RPOs do you want to stop? That's really Shane Steichen. One, we're going to get man-beating RPOs where they'll set picks at the bottom of the screen, third and short, and we kick the ball out two we'll get into a split flow meaning zone and guy from the left will come all the way across and we'll just run up the middle of the defense then we'll get into a power rpo where we'll pull the backside guard and hand it off and we still have the opportunity to throw it the different ways that they take the simple aspect of the rpo the run pass option on the perimeter and make it complex on the inside with all the different types of run game action that they have is a main reason why that this offensive line and run game 
is the engineer for an offense that's right now in the playoffs. Things seem bleak for the Ravens offense when Mark Andrews went down with a leg injury in week 11. But yeah. Lamar and company has been great in their last three games without Andrews. Baltimore has averaged more yards per game, a better offensive efficiency, and more first downs per game than in their first 11 games this season. I mean, how have the Ravens been able to pull this off? I don't think it can be stressed enough how much of a killer a Mark Andrews loss would have been in previous Ravens offenses. But this offense is different because of the wide receivers, but also because of the play of the young tight end you're seeing featured here, Isaiah Likely. Um, I, the play that really jumps out to me, obviously, the crazy Lamar play out of structure, escaping pass rushers, because it actually reminds me a little bit of the Mark Andrews catch at the beginning or the end of the second, first half in the, well, the poop game, let's call it what it was. The way he gets open on the scramble drill, works back to Lamar, fights for the football. If he continues to make plays like that outside of structure with this quarterback in particular, that bodes well for how he'll be used down the road. It was the poop game. You guys I remember mean, it was the poop game. You, like, guys, if you had Monday night poop game on your bingo card today, me then after cups of coffee. you win. Dan, ugh, okay. Stop. Anyway, to Chicago next. That's how we remember it. <laughs> Where the team is using the end of the season to evaluate quarterback Justin Fields as they could be in line to take a quarterback at the top of next year's NFL draft. Well, Bears wideout DJ Moore made it clear how he feels about the situation. I'm still like, bro, where are y'all seeing this? Like, what, what makes him not the quarterback for the Chicago Bears right now? I get y'all got everybody coming out. What, it's like two of them? I don't think they better adjust it. Strong endorsement there, Mina. Is he right about them keeping fields? Uh, no, and I hate to say that because I think Justin Fields has improved so much and I've loved watching him this year since coming back from injury. Um, but I think the problem is what Moore says that they're not better than Justin that's not the only thing factoring into this. Like, mm. it's possible that at this moment, Williams and May aren't better than Justin Fields. But the reason you take one of them, well, there's a few reasons. Obviously, the fact that they're on the rookie contract for four years. Um, but also, if they were to keep Fields, you'd effectively have to keep him for two years because you'd probably pick up his fifth-year option. Uh, and then you'd have one year to make a decision as to whether to give him a big contract extension. There's a good chance they're going to hire a new coach, so that coach would have to be someone who is a good fit and wants to be with Field. Like, it introduces all of these other team-building variables that are not there if you go into the draft and get a rookie quarterback, as well as um, picking up some trade compensation for Fields. MK, you know me. I, I usually try to stay convicted with the things I say. I don't know. I honestly don't know it's what's going to happen in Chicago. Yeah. And I think this is going to get really interesting. So if you keep Justin Fields, you move on from C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Caleb Williams, and Drake May. If you get rid of Justin Fields, this is what you're getting rid of in a situation that has not been conducive to high-end quarterback play. In his last 17 starts, one full season, he's accounted for that. Total yards, Touchdowns, interception, QBR, again, in a below average to bottom third situation when it comes to quarterback support. So, I, I, Dan, okay. I don't know. This is so hard. And we're going to talk about this a lot more in the lead up to the draft, obviously. But, you know, the question of Caleb Williams and Drake May, I know, I know you like both of them. Do you think right now they're better? 
I don't think right now that those are better players. I think Caleb has the ability to be more jaw-dropping creative, and that's saying a lot because specifically as a passer, um, Drake is an unbelievable athlete. I think the question becomes a little bit this too as well for me. Do they in Chicago unequivocally believe that if they took five less runs a game from Justin, he is going to continue to ascend as a pocket passer? Mm, Yeah. And then really fast, you mentioned some other quarterbacks there. You were saying, like, could they trade for somebody else? Chicago? Yeah. I I don't know if they trade for anybody else. But what I'm saying, Laura, is if you keep Justin, you're passing on those four quarterbacks that were the one-two one, picks in subsequent okay. drafts. I wanted to make sure everyone understands that. By the way, the deadline for the Bears to exercise their fifth-year option on fields is May 2nd, and you see the draft order know. right there. So the Bears right now, 82% chance that they have that first overall pick. Patriots going to be in a quarterback market. Maybe the Cardinals. There's so many of these teams that are quarterback needy, and there are some good ones in this draft. we got more coming your way here on NFL Live. Still to come, Drew Locke put on a show for the city of Seattle last night to help snap a four-game losing streak. Did this win save the Seahawks' season? We'll have answers, and you'll hear from Drew Locke. That's all next on NFL Live. Be right back. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. When you're on a business trip, you know what goes completely off the rails? Your workout routine. Especially when you book a hotel that doesn't have a gym. So what ends up happening is you do a few push-ups and sit-ups in your room, run around the block, or just skip it entirely. Lame. If you just stay at La Quinta by Wyndham, you'll discover there's a fully equipped fitness center at every location. Now you can wake up and power your buys and tries the right way or de-stress with some cardio. The choice is yours. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hurts trying to take it in. Diving for the touchdown. Nice cut back by Walker. Still going. Waiting for the blocking to get there. It does. Good tough running by Kenneth Walker. Here it comes again. Touchdown is the result. This never gets old. It does for defenses. End zone. It is caught. Touchdown. Seattle. They're going for it all. I was trying to be aggressive in that moment. We had multiple opportunities in the game to open it up, and I didn't do that. Julian Love making the play of the night. The Seahawks' 92-yard game-winning drive began with a minute and 52 seconds left in regulation. That's tied for the fifth-longest go-ahead touchdown drive that began in the final two minutes of a game in the last 45 seasons. Wow. Here's Drew Locke, the orchestrator of that drive, with Lisa Salters after the game. Amazing won't do it justice. Amazing won't do it justice, but amazing also doesn't do justice. But the O-line, what DK did on that catch, what the receivers did, what Ken Walker, Zach Charbonnet did all game long, the tight ends, man. It takes a special group to rally around a guy that, you know, has come into his second game of the year, right? Used to the same thing all year long, same cadence, same spin of the ball. 
everything for a team like that, not just the offense, the defense to rally around me tonight, man, that was that was amazing. I see some I hear some emotion in your voice. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed. Blessed with a great group of guys, a great city, great coaching staff. It's just it's, it's awesome. It's a wow. That's awesome, really quick, man. incredible interview, and Drew Locke is somebody that anyone can root for. You so think good. about what he's been through. But to all the people today who have said, wow, Drew Locke shared so much, he did. But credit to Lisa Salters for yeah. asking the right questions and for feeling yeah, that great moment. interview. Incredible interview great by, by Lisa. Lisa. In contrast, I remember he made some <laughs> immature Tearing decisions. <clears throat> remember early yeah. on in Detroit with some of the, you know, Jersey stuff that went on, just to kind of hear the maturity in his voice was cool. He's grown a lot. Mina, how was that Seahawks offense able to get it done with their backup quarterback starting? Yeah, uh, I think Kenneth Walker had his best day, his best game in the NFL, uh, since, which is amazing, right, because he was so productive as a rookie. But while he was productive as a rookie, he was actually pretty boom or bust. Uh, a metric I like to look at with running backs is success rate, which isn't just you know yards per carry, but looking at how successful they are, uh, considering down and distance. And Kenneth Walker, while he had some big runs last year, actually finished last in success rate amongst starting backs. He was not particularly efficient. In this game against this Philadelphia defense that, while he struggled against the pass, has actually been okay against the run. He had a 58% success rate Definitely the highest he's ever had. I thought he ran with terrific vision, patience, which is kind of his hallmark as a back, breaking tackles. I think um, they've really hit on something with those gap runs out of those two and three tight end sets. And, and moving forward, when they get Geno Smith back into this offense, Dan, I don't think people understand. Like, the run game has not been good in Seattle, and that yeah. has hurt them. If they can click like this with Geno back in the mix, I think they can move the ball that much better. Do you think their run game changes, like, call-wise with him, Walker? From what we saw last night, or? Yeah, no, in, in difference I, to like Charbonnet. Oh, interesting. Yeah, a little bit. I, I don't know. I think that they're both pretty good gap runners. And Seattle, as you remember, used to be much more of a zone running team. Right. I think the identity of the run game has changed a bit. I think both gaps, or both, pardon me, both running backs uh, are a pretty good fit for what they do. Um, Charbonnet is a little bit more of your straightforward north-south, you know, we just exactly. need to get three yards kind of back and you can check it down to him. But I, I got to say, like, what Walker did last night really, really impressed me. It's something I really haven't seen from him. I think he's a little bit be better suited for the gap scheme. Uh, one, I think the interior of their offensive line is better in double teams um, than it is in just the strictly the zone scheme. And I think yeah. Walker's like, – you, you kind of hinted at the, the vision – and then the, the balance, kind of like the cut ability off of that, I think lends itself well. I, I, offensive coordinators so often, you know, hey, this back is in, well, he, he runs these plays better. Or, or, or this back is in, well, we got to run that type of scheme. I think Walker is, is better suited for their gap scheme specific to the interior of their offensive line. Success rate, what a cool stat. I like that, Mina. Check back in on the success rate throughout the season. That was neat. All right, it's Tuesday. That means it's time to find out what went wrong to some of the teams that lost in Week 15. The Broncos got blown out in Detroit on Saturday night. Dan, what went wrong for Denver? They could not get off the field on first down. What, what I mean by that is 
the first down play action pass defense was poor. And so it gave them, we talked all week about third down, third down, this third down pressure package. They never had the chance to get into get off the field on third down situations because the way that the Detroit Lions play action passed and then built their run game off of it and then used the motions on early downs to make sure they never really got into any third down situations were key. The defense never had the chance to get off the field because they didn't never they never won on first down. So the Broncos are still alive at seven and seven, Dan, but it's going to be tough in the AFC. Eleven of the sixteen teams currently five hundred or better. The Ravens, you see them, they're in the top spot. They're the only team that can breathe a little sigh of relief in the AFC that has clinched a playoff spot. They can clinch the North with a win and a Browns mm. loss this week. So uh, the Jaguars uh, on the other side of things, they're the team that lost to the Ravens on Sunday night. Dan Graziano was there for that one. We'll get his take in just a bit. Here he is. Graz, with the loss, the Jags joined the Texans and Colts at 8-6 and six in the AFC South. How does Jacksonville feel about where they stand in that division race? Well, I think the concern level is fairly high when you look at a couple of things off of this game. Number one, the Jaguars felt like they played all right in the first half, that they were kind of right there with the Ravens, but they did uh, some things that were sort of baffling that cost them. Trevor Lawrence fumbles the ball on a play where he's not touched. Uh, the end of the first half, the not being able to get, you know, the time stop to kick a field goal and the decisions that went into that. And they felt like they had a good coverage plan against the Ravens receivers, and that held up. But then, of course, the Ravens ran for 200 yards in the second half, and it fell apart. The Jaguars felt like they were right there with the Ravens, but they felt like that too much lately. And now they're in a situation on offense where they're already concerned about the offensive line. Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol. Christian Kirk is out. Zay Jones is hurt again, uh, and they're going to struggle to find answers. It's a team that, whose coaches have been telling it for the past week Hey, we're right there. We're close. We're losing these games, but it's close. We need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what, what can I do? One one percent better to help make up that difference. The problem now is uh, the personnel losses they're having on offense especially uh, could mean that they need to do even more and they might not be capable. Yeah, I mean, Roz, even what you said there reminded me of Doug Peterson in game in the interview in game, how frustrated he was because they were like right there and then a terrible mistake would pull him off the spot. Mina, looking at Sunday specifically, why couldn't that offense muster up more than seven points? Uh, just execution. Uh, the, this Jaguars team beats themselves more than any team in football mm. uh, with drops, miscues, the fumbles. I mean, to get into Ravens territory that many times and not put up points for the silliest reasons, uh, it, it has to be disheartening, especially given I, I thought the defense actually played pretty well in this one. The front was getting after yeah. it. But it feels like, Dan, their offense and defense never play well at the same time. If I had to like put my finger on what's wrong with this Jaguars team as a whole, that mm. and the fact that they can't really run the ball. Um, and it's such a letdown because what we saw from them in the second half of last season offensively, to go into this season with similar, you believe, upgraded personnel and then to have these drive-killing, game-killing mistakes week after week has to be incredibly disappointing for a team that had so many expectations coming into this season. I just don't know who they are in a bad way. You know, you know I talked about Baltimore the other day, and I was like, they do so much, yeah. so well, don't necessarily know who they are because they can kind of hit you in so many different aspects. Jacksonville, I feel, and this is why they struggle in the first half of games so consistently. It almost feels like 
they, they start games and it's, well, what are we going to be good at today? Is it going to be our multiple tight end package? Are we going to be able to play action? Can we run RPOs? Is it the out game to Calvin Ridley that is actually pretty good? I, I mean, I just I don't know if they have an identity that they can rely on offensively to come out and be like, this is what we got today. And we thought we knew what it was going into this season. You talked about yeah. it with uh, the out routes to Ridley, some of the play action stuff, what we saw last year. And then it has come and got like there are games where they push it downfield. There are games where they, they don't. don't. There are yeah. games where they use more motion. I, it feels really disjointed. And um, there's not really much you can hang your hat on when you watch exactly. the offense. I, I think about when we saw them weeks ago in London, Dan, they were looking for an identity then, too. Yeah. They, they won that game. But it does feel like it's just been that same story week to week. We'll see if they can turn it around in time to make a run in the playoffs. Coming up on NFL Live, Christian McCaffrey has been playing at an MVP level this year. Dan and Mina explain how Kyle Shanahan has unlocked a new level to CMC. He was already great. Now he's even better. Don't miss this. It's next. We'll be right back on ESPN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The race is on for the number one seed. Right now, this group is a handful. There isn't any question about that. Purdy with time, throws over the middle. It's McCaffrey for the touchdown. Throw into the end zone for Samuel in front of the pylon. He makes the catch. Oh, a spectacular grab by Debo Samuel. I think everybody knows where we want to be, so the standards got to be in your eyes. That standard is high. The 49ers offense continues to roll. Dan, how are they doing it? Yeah, I think Christian McCaffrey is different because Kyle Shanahan can build him into the pass concept. So often quarterbacks or, excuse me, offensive coordinators can take their tailback and they'll build in like a one-on-one route where we'll see a potential choice route or your traditional check down. McCaffrey is so unique that Kyle Shanahan takes him and builds him into their drop back traditional pass game concepts because his ability to understand and the way to do it. So I want everyone to watch the red zone concept. This is what we call Cougar, okay? There's a little fade up top. You have a slot out route. We would get a shallow cross. Now traditionally, this would be a short in and then your back would be a late kind of angle route and we would read this fully across the board. We would go one, two, three, four. Now Christian McCaffrey is so unique that Kyle Shannon says, well, I don't have to do it that way. They're going to hop to back. We saw that from Buffalo so often this past weekend. And they're going to take the same pass concept, but what he's going to do is a little different. Still the out route, and there goes Kittle, but instead of having Debo run that short in, 
He's going to take McCaffrey and run an angle route out of the backfield, and then Debo on the backside is going to run a whip route. Now what happens is you create a ton of space in the matchup in the middle of the field, him versus that backer, because his ability to be a part of the progression, that's not a choice route, and that is not a check down. That is part of the progression. Only Christian McCaffrey is capable of doing that. Now I wanted to show this back angle because a couple things to pay attention to. This is Kyle Juszczyk. Now if you were going to do in this, this set, we call this ace, okay? There's a symmetry to this. Guard, tackle, tight end. Guard, tackle, tight end. It is even, okay? Now, Juszczyk is a better pass blocker. McCaffrey is a better pass catcher. Kyle is basically going to switch their roles. I want you guys to watch how Christian McCaffrey, this is called the B-gap insert. The B-gap is in between the guard and the tackle. He is specifically getting through that space to become part of the pass progression down the field as Kyle Juszczyk is gonna stay in longer and become a part of the pass protection. No, this is not a broken play. This is by design for the San Francisco offense. Show it from the 22 angle to get a better understanding. What you're gonna do is you clear out the coverage with Brandon Ayuk up top. Ayuk is going to run essentially a post route. When he runs the post route, those defenders get lifted. Remember, Juszczyk is now in pass protection longer. Usually if that was a tight end, he would be the person running the pass concept. McCaffrey goes into that B-gap insert because he doesn't want to get delayed or slowed down. Now what happens is once those defenders are lifted, McCaffrey becomes one-on-one -on -one with that defender and he sets him and essentially runs a rail route down the field instead of having the tight end do it. Brock Purdy gets away from the pressure and he becomes completely uncovered downfield. He's the only back in the NFL that you could do that with. Again, there's backs that you can build choice routes in to get completions, and there's backs that are really good in the checkdown world. But Kyle Shanahan views Christian McCaffrey as a guy that I can build him into our traditional dropback pass concepts because he's so diverse and intelligent in how he goes about doing it. He's the only back in the NFL that can do it that way. Uh, Mina, it just makes me think about how indefensible <laughs> this offense is. It's like they already have a great play caller, offensive totally coordinator. Good. They already have all these pieces, but then you've also got CMC. What can't they do? It's, it is indefensible. I mean, we're going to preview this Ravens game and try to come up with ways to stop Christian McCaffrey, but <laughs> there really are no easy answers right. because of what Dan just laid out. I mean, he's the queen on the chessboard. He can do mm. literally everything you need a football player to do. Um, that the broke, well, It wasn't a broken play, but the touchdown where he fell down. Dan, in real time, I was watching that, and I was thinking, oh, okay, they're going to run the ball. It's first and ten. They're in quarters. They have a lead. Right. They're in 21 personnel, but they don't have because they have a running back who is a wide receiver back there. <laughs> when you watch them, other than Tyree Kill in Miami, like I don't think there's a single player in football with the ability to dictate to defenses and mm -hmm. draw focus the way that Christian McCaffrey does right now, which is absolutely insane for a running back. The way he draws focus in coverage when you watch, the way he gets bracketed, the opportunities and matchups that it opens for the other players who also happen to be the best players in their positions in football. I've never, yeah. I, and I don't feel like I'm being like dramatic or hyperbolic when I say I've never seen anything like that before. It's backed up by the numbers. We have never seen an offense like that before. Like. I thought Kamara in New Orleans, I remember watching like at the peak, his peak, you thought, oh my God, the option routes, the way he you know, forces defenses to respond, it's unbelievable. This combined it's with different. the scheme is not something we've ever seen in football. Yeah. I, I really believe that. I, I think like he, he even pushes Kyle Shanahan's boundaries with what play are we capable? I've never seen that play 
where he basically takes McCaffrey and Juszczyk and flips their roles. And Juszczyk becomes the longer blocking, help and protection, check down, and then McCaffrey runs the route. It's, it's a player that has taken an incredibly intelligent and innovative coach and forces his boundaries to be pushed with what is capable. I love thinking about Shanahan going to McCaffrey being like, hey, you want to try this? And McCaffrey like, sure, yeah, whatever you want to do, I can, can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Literally anything. Man, they are fun to watch. We got more coming your way here on NFL Live. Still ahead, the Cowboys suffered another disappointing loss on the road on Sunday. Will their road woes prevent them from making a deep playoff run? Find out next. Starting to get a little dicey in Dallas. We talk about it. We'll be right back. A leaked tape that led to one of the biggest scandals in sports and changed the NBA forever. A podcast that unearthed it all. This is just like what 2014 was mm-hmm. like. Like, there's yeah. a lot of wild stuff happening. And now, a Hulu docudrama. TMZ was calling again and again and saying, we have a tape, do you want to comment? 30 for 30 Podcasts presents The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clip. We reshot the scene, and I could barely watch it because it was so uncomfortable. It was tough. A companion podcast to the FX drama inspired by the award-winning reporting of Ramona Shelburne, one of ESPN's top NBA reporters, an L.A. native, and someone who has been following the story from the moment it broke. Join Ramona as she sits down with the cast and crew of the show in spoiler-filled conversations and behind-the-scenes reaction to each episode. Man, this is crazy, but these people live these lives every day. Donald Sterling, this was his lifestyle for a long time. Listen to The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clipped wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, what a Christmas Monday night matchup we have for you next week. Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy, and the NFC leading 49ers hosting Lamar Jackson and the AFC leading Ravens. I didn't ask for anything for Christmas. I just want this, okay? This caps off an NFL triple header, 8 Eastern, ABC, ESPN Deportes, and ESPN Plus. Cannot wait for that right here on our networks. The Bills' standard pass rush, by the way, has been great this year. Talk a little bit of Buffalo and Dallas. Buffalo's defense a top five in pressure percentage, yards per attempt, total QBR and touchdown interception ratio when sending four or fewer pass rushers. Dak Prescott averaged just 3.6 yards per attempt against standard pressure on Sunday. Dan, how was this defense able to keep the Cowboys passing game in check? It's a passing game that's looked really good and clicked on all cylinders at times this season. Yeah, it was in many ways doing everything late. And it wasn't just the passing game. It was doing everything late when it came to at the line of scrimmage and versus their run game. This happens late. Dak doesn't know exactly what the shell is going to be. Is it going to be two good? One, the nickel's going to pressure and the safety's going to drop down. If this game was in Dallas, the chances of that happening are zero. Dak would have seen the rotation, checked out of that play, and said second <laughs> down leads to third down. Okay, this is second down in the red zone. Late pressure by the safety mm-hmm. off of the edge. This is da- back in Dallas. No way that Dak Prescott snaps that football. Instead, it becomes third down in the red zone. They get off the field, force a field goal. But that was the story of the game. It was late rotation on early downs when it comes to edge pressure, and then late rotation on third down. Is it going to be two safeties, one safety, one safety, two safety, and cloud to CeeDee Lamb? I... I'm so glad you highlighted the pressure aspect because this Bills defense under Sean McDermott has always used a lot of disguise on the back end with how they rotate safeties ever since he came over. Um, But I thought in this game in particular, it was, as you said, that use of uh, late pressure and movement both up front as well that had the Cowboys in a blender or 
force them into doing what and running when they wanted them to run and passing when they wanted them to pass. And I think uh, the defense deserves a ton of credit for that because it's easy for us to say, yeah, and then, you know, of course they rotate. Well, no, that's not easy in terms of the execution of that sort of late rotation. And we're talking about a defense that on the back end has been very injured. You had Taylor Rapp starting at safety with Micah Hyde out, obviously losing cornerbacks early in the season. Um, so really impressive job by Sean McDermott and his staff getting this defense ready for this opponent in particular, executing a very difficult game plan. Dan, the Bills for real? Real threat? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think they're so well coached right now on defense. And I think their offense finally has the ability to be complete and balanced. Um, and I think the way that they can rush the passer with three strategic, or strategic and situational rushers, absolutely. I agree. All right, as for the Cowboys, they dropped their fourth road game of the season on Sunday. Jerry Jones was asked about that this morning. Their struggles away from home. Take a listen. Well, I would say the other night, weather, for instance. One's wet and one's dry. And uh, you say, well, the other team has to pay in the wet, too. Yeah, they do. Uh, but I, I'm just giving you a difference. We have perfect conditions to play in at home. We've got the elements uh, a lot of times on the road. We can correct what we did in Buffalo. We have done it, and we've done it against as good of players as we're going to be playing Sunday. And we can reverse this thing from what we had in Buffalo. Ben, what? what do you make of what Jerry does he, is saying? Does, does he know that they're probably going to have to play a road game in the playoffs? Here's, here's my thing with it. Weather, cool, all that. Their quarterback is a cheat code at the line of scrimmage. That's why they struggle on the road in comparison to home. Dak Prescott knows at the line of scrimmage, more often than not, what the defense wants to do because he's so smart and he uses his cadence so well and he gets them into ideal plays. He's not capable of doing that at the high and consistent level on the road. That's why they don't perform on the road the same way as they do at home. It's not the weather. I think the run defense is the other thing I'll, I'll throw into there. I mean, I, and that is impacted by the weather if they're playing these offenses that are more willing to run the ball or run the ball at a high level against them. This is not a good run defense, Dan. I mean, I, no, I you know, and, and I think at home, and I guess this kind of factors to what you're saying, because the offense has been able to score at will, they haven't had to defend the run. And so it's sort of like, uh, you know, it kind of comes off of what you said about the offense. If they're in a situation where they have to defend the run, they can't, and they're being put in that situation if the offense isn't putting up points that the way I, that I would they love are used to. to. Know, I would love to know, MK, what the Cowboys' first half scoring offense at home looks like compared to everybody else. All right, we'll find that for you, and we'll tell you after Playing the show with the and maybe use it tomorrow. we got time for one more we'll be thing here. before we go. We'll all be here, right? Uh, you had to check out Mina on the Manning cast last night. Here's the highlights from it. It was awesome. Welcome in ESPN NFL analyst and lifelong Seahawks fan, Mina Kimes. On my show, I do all the prep. He just kind of makes faces, but people like him more than me. I feel like Peyton can probably relate to that dynamic. How are you so certain that DK was going to be a star? Yeah, I got drug tested not long after that one. Why did you order Peyton's size helmet for this picture? <laughs> I didn't want to ruin my hair. They stopped me from wearing it down the aisle. Peyton <laughs> sitting in a cold tub with his helmet on with an iPad. I believe a, a, a lady fan requested that exact image. I didn't ask a lot of questions. Play action. No. Here's the yeah. shot. Oh! Oh! Okay! Okay! There's the turnover. There's... Oh! 
What did I say? Don't try the shuffling. You know, the Mannings got to do something that we all really enjoy, which is watching a game with Mina. That was fun, Mina. Did you have fun? I'm just glad I wasn't on camera for the end because they would have had to pay some fines for me watching that final <laughs> touchdown. Oh my God. That was amazing. Oh, Shout out to what a cool experience. I'm jealous. The, the helmet and yeah. the wedding dress, iconic. That's our girl. We'll see you tomorrow.